2 Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to touch a little bit in 2 Chronicles 19, but mostly in chapter 20. And as I said a few, uh, few minutes ago, that we're going to be looking at the first work of the church today, spending time talking about um, prayer. And m- many of you know the story of what God has done here at New Beginnings, but if you don't, I, I want to tell you, three years ago, our church fundamentally changed. We fundamentally changed and will never be the same. Uh, three years ago, we came to a realization that while we were growing numerically, we were not seeing the power and presence of God at work in the church. We had great programs. Man, we were killing it and still have great programs. We had great leadership, we had, if I do say so, right? Not bad. Uh, we had um, a great facility. We had everything that most churches go This is what we need to be a healthy, good, strong church. But when we begin to ask some different questions, there began to be something, there was an angst in our heart, in our spirit. We began to ask questions not less concerned with how many people showed up, and we began to ask, when did the the presence of God show up? When did the Holy Spirit show up? And that's when the conversation changed. That's when it changed. And we began to pray uh, January the 11th, 2021. Matter of fact, this past Wednesday night, we we celebrated our three-year anniversary of the prayer. And what happened was everything in our church began that journey of refocusing our heart on the very first work the church should be about, which is prayer, right? What did Jesus say? He said it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of those gospels recorded. When he described what his church would be, he said, my house will be called what? A house of prayer. That's what he said in Luke. My house will be called a house of prayer. So before it is a house of ministry, before it's a house of life groups, before it's a house of singing, before it's a house of preaching, before it's a house of programs, even before it's a house of missions, Jesus said, my house has to be a house of prayer. This is the first work of the church. And two questions ignite in my heart. The first is, why? Why? Why does this matter so much to Jesus? Why does he say he wants us to be this before we're anything else? Why? Think about the personal prayer life. Why did prayer matter so much to Jesus? This was the Son of God. If there was anyone that lived in this world who could have operated in this life without prayer, it was him. And yet prayer was the first work in his life. Why did Jesus get up before the sun and pray? Why did he pray at night? Why were there times where he prayed all night? Why did he pray before big decisions? Why did he fast and pray when he was being tempted by the devil? Why did he pray before he picked his disciples? Why did he pray in the garden? Why did he pray on the cross? Why did he teach his disciples how to pray? Something about prayer was essential in the life of Christ. And he said, this this has to be what marks my house. So we got to ask the question, why is that so important? And the second question we have to ask is this. If this is what God said he wants us to be, are we that? Are we that? Are we becoming what he said he wants his church to become? Are you a house of prayer? 
are you out? Remember what Paul teaches us. Our bodies are the temple of what? The Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, you have the Holy, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Is that temple a house of prayer? We ask these questions because we have, to, we, have to, we have to be willing to say, Jesus, why did this matter so much? Why, before we're anything else, do you want us to be this? Because there must be something about prayer, something uniquely powerful, something prayer does in us and for us that nothing else can do. And my heart today is that we would experience a renewed desire, and maybe for some of you, a brand new desire to pray and seek the presence of God. What this is not about is me standing up here just telling you to pray more, right? I think at times we hear stuff like we need to pray more, and we feel like our teacher is telling us, you got to do your homework, just do your homework, right? And that's how it feels. Well, let me tell you something about homework. I was the kid, I spent more time figuring out how to get out of homework than it would have taken me to just do it. You know what I mean? And that was really for anything I didn't want to do. I spent more time having, avoiding what felt like labor than just getting it done. And I feel like at times when we hear messages about prayer, we feel like it's do your homework, when in reality, prayer is an invitation to come to the feast of God. Prayer is how you put your feet under the table in the presence of God, and feast in His presence. Prayer is how you are filled with God. Prayer is how your faith is renewed. Prayer is how you find freedom from sin. Prayer is where power, spiritual power, comes from. Prayer is putting your feet under the table of God. That's So when I... When we talk about prayer today, listen, it isn't me yelling, pray more. It's me saying, let's draw closer to Jesus more. Right? Let's be filled with more of him, more of his spirit, more of his power. That's what that is. So I want us to do that by looking at what one of the great prayers in the Old Testament that we see in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I want to kind of tell you a little bit about what's happening. So in 2 Chronicles 18... Israel and Judah are, are a divided nation. Uh, they're, they're both God's people, but they've divided as a nation. So you have Israel and you have Judah. They've joined together. They've gone to war against Syria, and they've had a great victory. Now, the king of, of, of Israel has died in that battle. Um, Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah, and Israel and Judah were victorious over the Syrians in this battle, but the king of Israel died Jehoshaphat now, king of Judah, is coming back to Jerusalem. If you read verse 1 and 2 of chapter 19, you see he's coming back in peace. He's going back to his home. A victory has been won, and he's getting to come home in peace. And if you read the Old Testament and you know about the kings, you know there were some kings that were good and some that were flat rotten, right? There were some kings where the Bible says they did what was right in the sight of God and some that said they were evil. Jehoshaphat was a good king. He was not perfect, but he was a good king. And you can see that God was with him. Look at uh, uh, chapter 19, verse 3. It says this. There, this, is a, this is one of the seers, one of the prophets who's speaking to the king. And he says, nevertheless, some good is found in you. He's talking to Jehoshaphat. For you destroyed the Asheroth out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. 
We're going to see the phrase, seek God or seek the Lord, a lot today in these two chapters. And every time you see the phrase, seek the Lord, know that you can insert prayer right there. That's what that is. You've set your heart to seek God. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, and he went out among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, and he brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. So Jehoshaphat is beginning this work now of turning the nation back to God. He's bringing down idols. He's, when it says he brought down, he destroyed the Asheroth. These were places of worship to a false god. And so Jehoshaphat now has not only won a, won a military victory and won a well-deserved peace and coming home to live in peace, he's now begun the work of going through the nation to spiritually cleanse it. He's tearing down idols. By the way, listen, you want to see the power of God explode in your life? Find everything you've turned into an idol and tear it down. Everything. Everything. What's an idol? An idol is anything that has more of my passion and my attention than God. If it has more of your affection, it's an idol. And I can be, I want to be honest with you and tell you I've made idols out of my kids. Some of you are doing that. I know that feeling. Where what they wanted to do and the dreams I had for them and the plans I was making for them and the things they were involved in just mattered more. And I made an idol out of them. I've made an idol out of this place right here that we're standing in. There have been seasons where I cared more about what you thought of me than I did what God thought of me. You go, dude, that's not good. I know. <laughs> I know. I've had to go th through processes of tearing down idols. That's what's happening right here in uh, Judah. Jehoshaphat is going through the nation. He is systematically tearing down the idols, right? If you read verses 5 through 11, chapter 19 is a real short chapter. If you read verses 5 through 11, what you see is he begins to set up godly order in the nation. He's raising up judges. He's raising up leaders. He's raising up priests. And he charges all of them to be faithful to God. He tells all of them, do not take bribes. Don't play favorites. When you judge, you judge from the authority of God, under the authority of God. Therefore, you better be right with God, right? So he's establishing godly order. He is cleansing house. He's cleaning the house and he is resetting the nation's heart to seek the face of God and pursue the presence of God. Now I want you to notice what happens right in the middle of this return to holiness. First two verses of chapter 20. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. <laughs> right in the middle of the return to holiness, they're attacked. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. Jehoshaphat is in Jerusalem. In Gedi is about 30 miles away. They have already advanced across the sea. They are on the doorstep. It is... It is no coincidence 
that in the desire and the commitment of seeking the Lord, of calling the people to seek the Lord, of renewing their hearts for God and turning them back to the presence of God. It is no coincidence that they came under attack. Some of you know this to be true. The more devoted you are to the things of God, the more on the radar you are of the devil. You know something I've discovered about me? One, the devil doesn't care about my preaching. He doesn't care at all. He just doesn't care. He doesn't care about my commitments. He doesn't care about the promises that I make to God. But he cares if I pray. You want to know why? Because my preaching and my commitments and my promises to God are useless and powerless if I'm not a praying man. They don't mean anything. Some of you know you have made promises to God for decades that you haven't been able to keep. Why? Because my promise doesn't mean anything if I'm not a praying man. He doesn't care how good. He doesn't care if I'm funny, if I'm creative, and if I'm tweetable. Is that how you say that? Twitterable, if I'm that. He don't care. If I don't pray, it doesn't matter. But when I pray, I begin to disturb the thing that that, that, that causes him to pay attention. When I do what pleases God, I do what disturbs him. So I want you to feel me say, we've said this before. Some of you need to write it down and believe it because it's true. When you hear the applause of heaven, you better expect the attack of hell. That's a real thing. This is what happens to Jehoshaphat and to Judah. Right in the middle of revival. Right in the middle, saying, God, we got to seek you. We got to pray. What does Jehoshaphat do in verse 3? Look at, just look at the first four words. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. He was afraid. The reason I want to stop right there is because I want us to remember who this guy is. This was the king. You know what his job was to do? His job was to be courageous when nobody else could. His job was to tell the people, I know, we're fine though. I see them, we're fine. Just get behind me, let's go. I've got this, we're going to be strong, I'm going to be strong. There is no fear, you can trust my lead. His job was to give the people courage, and yet we read this moment where the king is afraid. And listen, the people knew it. I mean, it's recorded in God's word. They knew it. And I pause there to tell you this. This is not, this is not the sermon, but it's, I hit my mic, sorry. To tell you this, it's really important. Strength is not the perception that you have no weakness. Strength is found in the confession that I am weak and I need the Lord. Strength is not in the perception that you have no weakness. And I have bought that lie in leadership as a pastor. I've bought it in my marriage. I've bought it as a dad. I buy that lie every time I'm with somebody and I want to present to them a false version of myself. I am buying the lie that strength is the perception that I have no weakness. 
when really strength is the confession that I am weak <laughs> and that I need the Lord, right? And so here's the king. Verse 3, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah, and, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Over, they came to pray. The king prayed. The people prayed. The whole nation came. And they began to pray. Here's the first big idea. We've already hinted at it, but I want to say it clearly. Prayer must be our first priority and our first position. It must be our first priority in our first position. Here's what you see happening in this moment with the king. You're seeing a king and a nation who has been taken off guard, right? They've been caught by surprise. Their lives are being flipped upside down. Don't you think that Jehoshaphat and the people probably thought they should expect uh, the blessing of God? I mean, they're in the middle of a revival. They're tearing down idols. They're removing false gods. They're seeking the Lord. They're doing all these things. Don't you think they probably thought, man, we're about to step into a season of unbelievable blessing, and instead, 30 miles away, three nations are bearing down. Their lives have been turned upside down, right? And what's the first response of the king and of the people? to pray and seek the Lord. Now, I want to ask the question, why was that for, why, why in this moment of crisis, why in the face of literally being obliterated, wiped off the face of the earth, why was their first posture, their first position to pray? The answer to that question is in the verse we read earlier, 2 Chronicles 19.3. He comes back in peace. He comes back in victory. And 2 Chronicles 19.3 says, Some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asheroth out of the land, and you have set your heart to seek God. Why, in the moment of crisis, was their first response to seek the Lord? Because in the time of peace, their first response was to seek the Lord. Before war was upon them, they were seeking the Lord. Right? When he was in a season of peace, he prayed and sought the Lord. When everything was going great and he had no problems, he prayed and sought the Lord. Now the battle has come. Now the enemy is attacking. And when that happened, they didn't have to remember how to pray. They didn't remember, have to try and remember how to be humble before God, how to cry out in desperation. Why? Because they were already in a posture of dependence to seek the Lord. Listen, you may be in a time of peace right now. I hope you are. Now's the time to set your heart to seek the Lord. Crisis is a terrible time to hope you can remember how to be humble before the Lord. Right? Now, set your heart to seek the Lord. Notice what he begins to pray now in verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, here's the prayer. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations and in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. 
Did you not, our God, give, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. We will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now, behold, these men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh God, will you not execute judgment on them? And maybe some of the most beautiful words in all of the Bible. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. If, if walking out of this room today, I don't care if you remember anything I said, but I pray the Holy Spirit cements to your heart the prayer. I am powerless. I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I just hold that. We're going to look at this prayer. There's a few things I want you to grab. And as we go through, I want you to know my heart really is that this will strengthen your prayer life. Um, if you're at a place where your personal prayer life needs an infusion of life and power and joy, um, I pray this will minister to you. Here's the first thing I want you to see. We see it from verse 6. In prayer, we learn to trust the sovereignty of God. In prayer, we learn to trust the sovereignty of God. There in verse 6, he says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. What does he say? You're the God of heaven, right? You rule the universe. All power is yours. All power is in your hands, and no one can stand against you because you are sovereign. Listen, prayer is where we learn to trust the sovereignty of God because prayer is where we get one-on-one -on -one with God for him to pour that kind of faith into us. Prayer is where we sit with God so that he, listen, knowing that God is sovereign intellectually is not enough. I bet you every person in this room, we would affirm probably every person if I were to say, is God sovereign? Yes. I will verbally affirm that and intellectually, I think I believe that. But how then it, does that become something that transforms me in the moment of crisis? Something's got to happen in my inner being. My teachers taught me about all kinds of historical figures growing up. They didn't meet any of them, right? Taught me about George Washington. Taught me about Martin Luther King. Taught me about all these people. And they never met any of them. Do you think I would have learned a little better had George Washington walked into the room, sat down one-on-one -on -one with me, and taught me about himself? Right? Listen, prayer 
is how we learn to trust the sovereignty of God because in prayer, the sovereign God of the universe sits one-on-one with us and pours himself into us. This moment where Jehoshaphat is praying how awesome and sovereign God is, is not just God's opportunity to receive praise. It's his opportunity to affirm to his people who he is. Right? Nothing can replace sitting with our sovereign God for him to pour himself and his power into us. That only happens in prayer. Do you need to, are you in a moment right now, your family, your career, where you're going, I, I need to trust the sovereignty of God, then sit one-on-one with the sovereign God and let him pour that in. Here's the second thing. In prayer, we come to rest in the faithfulness of God. We, we come to rest in the faithfulness of God. Look at verse 7. God, did, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Jehovah, what does he do? He's praying God's faithfulness back to him. God, you gave us this land. You drove out our enemies. You went before us. You delivered us. You made the promise to Abraham, and you were faithful to keep the promise And from Abraham until now, you have been faithful time and time again. Listen, when we pray and remember God's faithfulness, and we remember remember every time he showed up, every time he came through, every time we weren't sure how we were going to make it, but he showed up, every promise he made, every promise he kept, when we pray in God's faithfulness and we come to rest in God's faithfulness, you know what happens? Anxiety goes down and faith goes up. Just like that. Anxiety goes down and faith goes up. Fear goes down and believing goes up. Worry goes down and comfort goes up. It is is so much more difficult for me to be anxious about what God might do when I remember what God has done. Anybody else other than me worry about the future? Get a little anxious? Get a lot anxious? It is so much more difficult for me to be anxious about what God might do when I remember what God has done. And I remember his faithfulness to me. In prayer, we come to rest in the faithfulness of God. Listen, when we pray and recall God's faithfulness, when we pray His faithfulness back to Him, it is not because He needs reminding, it's because we need help resting. I have never in my life been able to manufacture the comfort of God in a time of crisis. I can't do it. I can't pad my life with enough self-made security to have the comfort of God in a time of crisis. I've never had enough money to do that. I've never had enough uh, social approval to do that. I've never had the right job that patted me and gave, and I was able to manufacture. Why? Because the only thing that gives me the comfort of God is the faithfulness of God, and the only way I come to rest in the faithfulness of God is in prayer. In prayer. So in prayer, we learn to trust His sovereignty. In prayer, we come to rest 
and his faithfulness. Here's the next thing I think we see. In prayer, we find our utter dependence on the power and goodness of God. In prayer, we find our utter dependence on the power and goodness of God. Look at verse 12. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And we do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. What you see in those, those last two sentences of chapter 12 is the essence of spiritual dependence. The essence of dependence on God. Right? Because when I confess, I'm powerless and I don't know what to do. When those confessions are, are coming out of my mouth, at the same time, I am confessing my power is too weak. My wisdom is not enough. The enemy is too great. The, the, my, my vision is too narrow. My resources are too limited. So often we tend to operate in a time of crisis, or whether great or small, we tend to operate with a, hey, God, listen, I don't you worry about it this time. I've got it, right? God, you just sit back and watch me do this. I want you to see the awesome man you've made me into. Let me just get out and strut through this crisis for you for a minute, right? You probably don't do that. I do. I'm so tempted to trust my own security. Can I tell you something? My power is such a false security. It's so false. My money is false. Your approval of me is false. My approval of you is false. Why? Because it could all be gone tomorrow. It could be gone today. Everything I'm using to give myself a sense of security other than the goodness and power of God can be gone in an instant. And I want you to take that prayer and realize God loves it when we pray like that. He loves it when we say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Look how God responds to that prayer, to them casting their, their utter dependence on his power and his goodness. If you read verse 13 and 14, you see the Holy Spirit shows up. He speaks through the prophet, and here's what God says in verse 15. Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Believer, when you're laboring to pursue the presence of God, when you're waking up every day to seek the Lord, when you're calling your family to seek the Lord, when you're making prayer the first work of your, your life, listen, you're going to come under attack. And when you do, your job is not to say, God, look at me, watch me, see how strong I am. Your job is to say, I am powerless against this, and I don't know what to do, but I know where to look. I know where to look. I know where to set my eyes. 
I'm going to abandon myself. I'm going to abandon any false hope that I can solve this. And I'm going to completely depend on you. I'm going to throw myself under your sovereignty. Throw myself under your faithfulness and your power and your goodness and your love for me. And he loves it when we pray like that. And he is repelled by the pride in our heart that says, God, I don't need you, I got it. He loves it. He loves to come running in. Because when we pray, I am powerless and I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. When we pray that, when that's our heart, what you've done is you've made room for the God who says, I will cause all things to work for your good, no matter what, to prove it. You've made room for that to happen. You've made for room for the God who said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you to prove it. You've made room for the God who said, um, no weapon formed against you will prosper to prove it. But when I say I got it, I can handle it, I've actually left out the only one who can. Right? I am powerless and I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. When we pray like that, we make room for God to show up the way he showed up in, in verse 15 and say, that's exactly where I want you. Now do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for this battle is not yours. It's mine. This is what Paul was saying when he was reminding the church in Ephesus. Um, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You're wrestling against a ruler of the darkness. You're wrestling against cosmic powers that want to destroy your life. I am so tempted to think people are my problem. They never are. Ever are they. Which means if I'm going to war against the cosmic dark, ruler of the darkness, if I'm going to war against Satan and his demon, if I'm going to war in the spiritual realm, I better be behind the banner of the God who's sovereign over that. I better be behind his banner. I better be in his shadow. I better be standing behind him, not in front of him. I better put on his armor. And I better let him go down into the valley. Him go down into the darkness. Him go down into the enemy that he said he's already defeated. And stand and see the salvation of the Lord. How do I, how do I have the kind of faith that says he's going to do that? I pray. I pray. I pray. I pray. I pray until my heart sings with the confidence that he has already won. I pray until humility finds me. And it may take a while for some of us. I pray until my heart can say with all honesty, I am powerless, and I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I pray 
until I am praying the prayer I can't, but you can. When was the last time you prayed like that? I don't know. Maybe you're well-watered ground this morning and you feel like that's where you are. Good. Keep praying like that. When was the last time you were that desperate for God? Desperate for God. God literally says in verse 17, look at what he says. You will not need to fight in this battle. <laughs> what? They're 30 miles away. They're going to be here in a few days. What do you mean? My army, by the way, at this time, Jehoshaphat's army, you know where they were? In the northern part of the kingdom. They weren't even near Jerusalem. The enemy was closer than his army was. And God said, I know. There's more of them anyway than you could pull together. So where your army is is irrelevant. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. And see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Prayer is how we get behind the banner of God. Prayer is how we let him go before us. And the Lord says, I don't want you to fear. And I don't want you to be dismayed. And and what does he tell them to comfort their fear? He says, I will be with you. I will give you my presence. Here's why you can put worry down in whatever crisis you're in right now, whatever problem you're facing, whatever's going on with your kid, whatever's happening in your marriage, whatever's going on at your job. Here's why you can put worry down because the Lord says, I see it, I'm with you. I'm going to go with you. Fear cannot stand against the manifest presence of God, but I cannot stand alone against fear. Worry loses its power when I am filled with the Holy Spirit, but it absolutely annihilates me when I'm not. Anxiety loses its potency and its poison when God draws near, but it kills me when I stand in isolation. Prayer is how you get behind the banner. And look at verse 18. So God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to show up. You don't have to fight. you got to stand in faith, hold your position, and open your eyes of faith to see what I'm going to do. And then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, and they worshiped the Lord. By the way, the enemy's still 30. The enemy's still right over there. They're not defeated yet. One of the greatest weapons that we have 
to build faith in our life is to worship. You want to know why? Because in worship, we declare the power, glory, sovereignty, authority, faithfulness, grace, and love of God. All of which we need to stand in faith in times of crisis. Are you trusting God's sovereignty right now? Are you resting in His faithfulness? Are you finding yourself utterly dependent on His power and His goodness? That only happens in prayer. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the last few minutes praying. Zach's just going to sing. Some of you need to come to the place of humility and die to yourself right here. Come to the altar and pray. Some of you need a supernatural change in your perspective. You need to see what God sees, and that only happens. In, you need eyes of faith. That only happens in prayer. Right? For some of you, your prayer life has slipped, and you just need to come and say that, God, forgive me. Some of you, there are besetting sins and you are hopeless to have victory over them and you need to come and pray. For some of you, you may need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You want this kind of spiritual authority and power in your life. You want to walk in victory. It begins in a relationship with Jesus. Some of our staff are going to just be sitting on the front row. I'll be sitting over here. Lynn and Julie are sitting right there. If you need to talk to somebody, come grab us. But for the body, now is the time to seek. I love you, Lord. I pray that as we worship, your Holy Spirit would fall and just call us into utter dependence on you. In Jesus' name.